Well, episode two of the podcast is out, and uh, more guests have only. Um, a guy which I think I've spoken to more of my whole family over the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, given the the new sponsorship deal with with him and Vicky. Um, but yeah, great to sit down with with this legend last week. Um, talking all things football, really. Um, we get into obviously his love for Merthyr, um, you know, his love for Wales. You know, we we look back through the eras. Um, What's it like, you know, sort of being a Welsh fan and now compared back to the early days and of course, um his life for the media as well, how he first, you know, sort of took hold of, of being a media man. Um obviously the insight of Talk Sport, working with some of the some of the greats there as well, you know, like Neville Southall, um, Alan McCoist. And of course Oasis is is Noel Gallagher as well. But uh great, great podcast which I thoroughly enjoyed doing this week. Um and a big, big thank you to the man himself. Um Real, real busy man, of course, with all his commitments, but top, top man, a real pleasure to sit down this week and a big thank you for him. Um, yes, yeah, so without further ado, this is uh, episode two with, with Mr. Johnny Owen. Johnny Owen, this is a pleasure. It's been a long time trying to sort it out, but we are fine the year. Um, well, glad to get on, really. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's the morning after the uh, the victory against Turkey in the Euros, so I've got a slight uh, thick head, but I'm all right. <laughs> uh, there were some uh, celebratory pints going on after. Uh, wonderful atmosphere at the club, but very happy to be here, Mac. And that's where we're going to start, really. Um, I said the morning after mm-hmm. after last night. Turkey nil, Wales through. Well, to sum up for us, it's just a crazy result again, wasn't it, for Wales? It was a fantastic result and one a lot of us didn't see coming. Um, we'd started, you know, we looked nervous against Switzerland and we were lucky to get a point, I felt. Uh, and he kept with the same lineup, and that's what the managers paid to do, make those big decisions. There was a lot of eyebrows raised about that. But you know what? He got his spot on from the start. We were at it. Um, Aaron Ramsey was sensational. He played like an 8 and a 10 last night, linking up from midfield. The midfield was brilliant. They managed to get over the ball. Uh, Joe Morell, somebody said behind me, if he's not getting in the Luton team, I'd love to know who's in the, in the midfield for Luton because he was terrific. Uh, and the front four just caused problems for everybody. You've got a big typical number nine. You've got Dan James who's quick and obviously Bale and Ramsey who love having the ball and coming at you. So, yeah, it was a fantastic result. Uh, an all-round team performance and uh, it's a good chance now we're into the next round, which is a, an amazing achievement again. Yeah, we could do one better. Who knows? Yes, um, who knows? Yeah, what surprised me was... Just how stressed you on the match, honest to God. Just seeing you off your chair if you're towing it. Just, I've always been like that, or is it just, just a Wales thing? Yeah, I think I've always been like that watching football. Uh, and I think the pinnacle of it all really is watching Wales. That's when I get most stressed. I'd love to say that I enjoy watching Wales play, but I, I couldn't use that adjective to describe it, really. Um, I, I, the euphoria after the result is, is incredible, the relief. But, um, yeah, there's nothing like uh, when I watch Wales, how I feel. I just feel that... Um, I just have an emotional bond to that a connection to that football team like like nothing else really. And starting off then, Merthyr the boy, Merthyr the on the bread, you sort of publicise as much as you can. Yeah. What was it like going to Merthyr and you know, a massive football in town and guessing that's sort of where it all started for you? It did, absolutely right, Mark. My father and my grandfather, my uncles, my brothers, everybody obsessed with uh, football, even my mother, um, you know, in those days, which was quite rare. But yeah, I um you know, I was just surrounded by football. You know, my first memories of the World Cup in 1974, the orange shirts of 
Holland. He was obviously on the television. And um, yeah, you know, the, the local club was moved to town. I had family connections. Uh, I had a great uncle who was chairman here, David Owen, very well known. Um, so, you know, I had, um, I had that kind of background where there was nothing else really other than football. And it's still the same now, you know. Every kid in Merthyr supports, you know, Liverpool, Man United, the big teams, you know, and or they come to watch Merthyr Town. It's just a football town to its bones, you know, and I love it. And I think I'm very much a Merthyr boy in that sense. And when you look back, you couldn't really grown up in a better era, really. You know, the Webleys, the Rogers, the Andy Beatties, the Kerry Williams, etc. What was it like being a part of that, just, just as a fan, really? I was so lucky, you know, I was 16 years of age when the, the great team sort of came to the fore. Uh, the best team probably in British non-league at that time the best team in Wales certainly they won the Welsh Cup they used to regularly beat Cardiff City and Swansea City in those days in the Welsh Cup they were fantastic to watch they were a great footballing team uh, and a lot of them I felt Mark were playing patently below the level they should have been playing at and that's fine they just obviously loved playing at Merthyr and in Merthyr so we had people like Kevin Rogers who played for Birmingham City and Wrexham he was a Merthyr boy and he was happiest in his hometown so he came to play for Merthyr he was way above he was head and shoulders above most teams that he played against same with David Webley there was always scouts looking at him and clubs like Swansea and Cardiff forever being linked with him but again he was very happy playing in Merthyr uh, and it just propelled us up those divisions you know uh, give us an adventure in Europe uh, it was just a terrific time to be young in the town getting great crowds travelling away met lifelong friends um, yeah it, and it sort of put the heart uh, in my heart the name the Martyrs forever really do you know what I mean I, I genuinely love the club and going back to you said about Kevin Rogers there, I think that's one of the biggest things I realised when they got in the club it's just the fan base you know if you want to be a Merthyr and if you Get off, I don't know, 10 thousand money somewhere else. This is a place to be. Was it like as a, as a player, would you say, back in your days? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think obviously, I think it was quite lucrative to come and play for Merthyr for, for a while because obviously they were semi professional. You could work as well. It's almost like double the wage, I suppose. Um, but we just were able to get great players. We had a great manager, you see, a guy called Lynn Jones, um, who was, was the same as Lynn Jones' as God because he was just terrific, you know. And we, we used to play attacking football, but we played winning football. Um, and he, he brought these players in. He brought a fantastic goalkeeper called Gary Wager in, you know, who was, you know, a Merthyr legend now and considered one of our greatest, if not our greatest goalkeeper. He got in from Bridgend Town, you know. So he had, a, he had an eye for the player as well that he'd bring in. Uh, but we had class Paul Giles on the wing. You know, he was a, he was a, a, a football league player, played for Newport and Cardiff City. Kerry Williams on the other wing, another Newport player. So these were boys who had played football league standard that, have, you know, that had come to Merthyr and bedded in. And they were very close, apparently, as a team. They were very close. We had a progressive owner called John Reddy, who was a real character, always on television. He'd ruffle a few feathers, John, you know, forever promoting Merthyr. But it was, a, it was a great combination, you know. Him, John Reddy, Lynn Jones, and that team and the players. And my favourite player was always Kevin Rogers, really, in, in that side, because he was a Merthyr boy, and I really associated with him because he'd been to my school. Um, but I'd always felt that everything in that team went through Kevin. Webley was, was a genius goal scorer, but everything went through Kevin. But a lot of people say, and I agree, was the absolute catalyst to start was Bob Latchford coming here to sign. Bob Latchford was a big name in, in uh, British football, in world football. And he signed for Merthyr. And it just seemed to set a series of events going, really, a marquee signing that just put us on the map. So it's how big good sales signs were, because you know, when I, I was doing a piece for ITV the other week, and... I was going back to the archives and looking at, you know, you used to play Manchester City, Watford, all the big sort of Premier League sides of today. Yeah. Just how big was that for the town? It just, it just seems just crazy when you look back now. Yeah, we were talking about it the other night when the boys were saying Merthyr almost need a marquee signing again, really. Um, it was just huge because it just put um, extra people on the gate, you know, and it gave everybody a massive lift. It caused a buzz around the club, a buzz around the town. It's got great support, great crowds, um, and that kind of thing. Just, um, I'll tell you what it does, it gives you... A, attention and when people start paying you attention 
and that makes a difference because that means other players then will want to come and play. We want to be part of something, and I think that's what Bob did. He made the players, the fans, the town want to be part of something, and uh, boy, did he take us on a journey. Well, the highlights you went, obviously, you, you've seen all of them with, uh, the highs, the lows, everything else in between. You, know, you obviously said you were at the Atlanta game, Newport and Wales Cup final. What were, the, what were those games like, and what was the atmosphere like in, around those times? They were fantastic. The Newport uh, replay was really tense. We scored, I think, after about three or four minutes. It was a penalty. And it's a bit like you said, I was watching Wales. It was a bag of nerves for the whole game. Um, the Atlanta game was really interesting. I knew we'd win that. I don't, I don't know why I thought it. I just felt we were played. We'd start the season really well. You know, we'd won the Welsh Cup. There was a real uh, atmosphere around the place. And, you know, the Italians looked overawed, you know, from the start. It was an amazing crowd. Yeah, there was a stat at the time. I think it was like one in five people who were in Merthyr were, must have been in the stadium at that point. It was an extraordinary crowd as a proportion of the town's population. Um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed sort of things like uh, I know we lost six 0 We went to Bristol Rovers in the cup, and we took thousands. Uh, it was the same every time we went away. We'd go to places like Worcester and Gloucester. We take a thousand. It used to be amazing, you know. We'd have um, we were all quite young in those days. We'd fill the buses. There'd be lots of singing, a great atmosphere, and I think that was a result of us following a great team. When you follow a great team, it kind of like it becomes self perpetuating, I suppose. And if you had to pick one one of those then. Welsh Cup and the Welsh Cup victory and the Atlanta victory. What, what, what game? Yeah, in terms of best one, what, what would it be for you? Because they're I, both great games, aren't they? When you oh, look back, amazing. I would say I the Atlanta just... game home just topped it because you know they were a top crack Italian team. You know they'd they they lost the the Italian Cup final to Napoli, who won the double that year. But they were they were a really good team. They are they are now, uh, and we're forever tied to them. And it was just that was the most historic match in Merthyr's history. I was there. We won. We played well. It was a balmy night in autumn. I can remember the grass, the crowd. It was just, it was just like a dream, really. That's why um, a great mate of mine called Steph, Stephen Reese, up here said it was almost like a dream. It was almost like the perfect dream, and he was right. You know, it just felt like a great moment. And if it, can you remember the first game from Merthyr? Well, not from Merthyr. Yes, I can. Merthyr. I, 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 I've, it's two games, and I always wanted. I'm sure a martyr will let me know. My first game was either a game whichever came first was a, a, a home friendly against Watford that I remember. Uh, then I think we won 3-2 I think we come 2-0 down I was sat in the grandstand and the other game there was a grass bank behind the theatre well, the theatre then was just a grass bank we used to call it the grass bank we played Chesham in the FA Cup uh, These, these, I think these were both in the late 70s uh, and I, we lost that game I came to that game as well so um, those were my earliest games but also I, I seen Gordon Davis play and I don't know what year I should check this actually what year he was playing because my father pointed him out to me and there were lots of rumours about he was paid, again another player patently playing way below where he should have been playing and he pointed him out to me so I remember Gordon playing as well so one of those games somebody let me know <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you look back of obviously the, the, the fans and everything of Merthyr it's just the whole community now these days isn't it? it's yeah. important to have that, that connection for you as, as a boy growing up how much was Merthyr a footballing town? Not a rugby town, you know, look at Merthyr Rugby, they've done, they've done great all the years, you talked about the boxing before. Just how big was it and how important was it it was just a footballing town, really? Well, it just, it was, football was always came first. It's just how it was, you know, obviously, like I said, we're famous for boxers, you know, the rugby club was always there and we'd always watch Wales in rugby internationals, but football was every day, you played every day. You had great local clubs like Georgetown and Pindaren, Merthyr Town or Merthyr Tidville as it was then, was seen as the pinnacle really, always getting good crowds, you know, and you'd obviously watch football, you know, you'd have your team in the 
what we used to call Division One then, whether it be like in those days it would be like Liverpool Forest, Spurs. So you know, but football dominated our lives. You know, it always has, and it's an it's historical thing. And I always remember I was in a lecture once in Swansea University. I was lucky to go there with um, Professor Priest Morgan, who's Rodri Morgan, one of the first uh, first minister of Wales, his brother. Uh, and I always remember him saying in this lecture, of course, Merthyr was the one place that was a football town in the valleys in the 90, late 19th century. And it's funny how even history it remembers us as that. And I don't know the reasons for it. I've, I've heard lots of speculation that we grew up the same time as Liverpool and Glasgow, big Irish populations and, you know, uh, all these reasons for it. But uh, I've had to put my finger on it. I just think that's Merthyr. It's always been its own personality, it's had its own character. People are the same. Um, and for some reason, we just love the round ball. In terms of going on to genetic football now, and obviously guessing your first cup would have been first World Cup would have been seventy four. What are your memories of that? And just what I was, was it like? Really? Yeah, I was like? really young in seventy four, Mark. Um, I can remember us watching a TV screen, and I had this conversation with my mother and my brother the other day because I did an article about it. And I remember the orange shirt. So I remember that it was it was the final between Holland and Germany, and I can remember Cruyff got fouled really early and Holland had a penalty, and it was the shock of that. It was an English ref refereeing it. I remember my father and my grandfather going, oh, he's giving the pen, you know. So I, I remember that. But the first World Cup I remember where I remembered it all was 78 in Argentina, the ticker tape and Mario Kempes and, and then we did it. Um, and that was the one where you know, I was old enough, I was, what was I mean, seven by then, eight, to go out and play with the ball and, and the thing. But what I remembered as well was we nearly made it as Wales. We were kind of cheated out a bit, we felt, by Joe Jordan's infamous handball at um, Anfield. So... That's when I first did really understand in football, and, and and it set me up as a as a Wales fan for the crushing disappointment, which often arrives <laughs> with supporting the Wales football team, because we were cheated out of this World Cup. I felt, uh, and I cried as a little kid. And my and my father, bless him, was passed away. And I used to tell this funny story where you know he was trying to console me, and I was shouting at the sky, "There can't be a god, you know, damn you, God, to cheat us like that." He said it was very funny to see somebody so young, sort of like being so um, upset and impassioned in my upset as well. That's one thing that we're going to touch on later, but yeah. was that the biggest disappointing for you as a, as a fan? Obviously, you would have watched with your friends, sort of my age now, going to watch European tournaments in the pub and everything. Was the biggest disappointment for you not being able to see Wales on the screen instead of you know watching like of England, Italy, France, etc. During that time, you mean the major yeah. tournaments? Yeah, they were the most difficult things, really. And you know what? I've 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 got a confession to make, and I often say this to other people. I never thought we'd make it. I felt that when we uh, lost that playoff game to Russia. Uh, we had a good team under Mark Hughes. You know, we had Bellamy and Hearts and then that side, Giggs was still playing then. I thought, you know, that's our best chance and it was so disappointing. And I kind of made peace with it. I was like, we're not going to qualify. It doesn't matter. Just get on with it and thing. And then obviously this wonderful team arose that got us to uh, France in 2016. You know, and we, you know, we suddenly had two of the very best players in the world in, on the day in Bale and Ramsey and, and, and we got over the line and, and what's really interesting about Wales a bit like in 1958 and, and in 76 when we do sort of make our way into a major tournament we always do well we always seem to thrive we always seem to sort of you know grow into it I don't know what that is it's almost like we, we, we get there and we go right we're here now this is going to be we're going to make sure we like, make a, have an impact which is wonderful I think that what my theory on that is us getting there is, is, is the hardest thing for us once we're over the line we kind of just relax and we, we grow into it. Whereas Scotland, when they get there, it's become a thing for them that they can never get past the first round. So it becomes almost like a psychological thing. Whereas Wales, when we get there, we go, right, we've done the hard part, almost. Yeah, there's no, there's no expectation Absolutely, yet. there's no expectation. We're always on the radar. There's always more attention on England and Scotland, quite rightly, because they're big, bigger countries. So I accept that. 
But it is a feeling that once we're in there, all right then, we're in the room now, we're going to throw two, two tables and tears about the place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a beauty that's of being in a major tournament, like Wales, you know. Like, yeah. I was a bit nervous going this year, because this summer, because I thought, well, are we going to have an expectation now? Because yeah. all we've done in the 16, is that going to be, yeah. is that going to hold us back? But I think we just need to enjoy it. It's, it's just a brand new, not brand new set of football, but you've got obviously new manager in, yeah. you've got well, enough a brand new team in terms of youngsters coming through. So it does look really positive it? It for does. Wales you know, going forward. So. Absolutely right, absolutely right. And, and for Wales then, we've obviously, same as Merthyr, watched them through thick and thin, some of the hard watching things yeah. and then sort of the, yeah. the good times as well. It's just been an emotional roller coaster, really. I'm guessing for yourself in terms of over the years and, and the decades. Yeah, I mean, we've got used to the sort of crushing disappointment. I mean, I think you know, going away with Wales, I've been, you know, many different places in Europe. There are boys, you know, lifelong friends. You know, I got I got mates over there now. The two Mikeys, Donovan and Mark, are over in Baku. You know, Big Nigel, Robert Type. You know, Wingnut, Mark Evans, one of my best friends. He's, you know, he's one of the main instigators and the main shakers and movers in the Welsh Football Association. These boys are real football fans, you know, and they care. And that's why I care, because people like that care. And I've seen some misery. I was there the night when we lost to Romania 2-1. You know, so I, they were tough times, you know. And, and like I said, I I sort of almost thought, thought, made peace with the fact that we weren't going to qualify. And, you know, so watching Wales was just going to become a different thing. And I think what happened then is about 10 years ago, especially watching Wales away, a, a new culture developed, really. You know, the bucket hat that we see now and the, the shorts. And it was a very distinctive thing, the songs. It was very separate from England and Scotland. And it was really interesting that that seemed to coordinate and just come along at the same time as this wonderful football team. So, of course, when it arrived on the world stage in 2016, everyone was kind of like, their breath was taken away by this different sort of football fan and different football country that had arrived at the Euros. And that's the same now, you know. It's like, it's a shame we can't go, but even the people who were there last night, they looked magnificent. And you could hear them singing, you know. So, you know, I, I always feel that my tribe, as I call them, all the people, my friends, all the people I just talk with, all the people I've spent time with in Merthyr Town during this Euros, people that I love dearly, like family, really, they are a big part of why I, I love Wales so much as well. And I know it sounds sounds cliche in a way, and it's easy to look back and say, oh, I knew Wales are going to get it, but did you, did you sense, you know, under, obviously Gary Speed, you know, God rest his soul, what he done for the, the country, it was amazing, and obviously Cookie took over then. Did you sense something was going to happen with Wales, perhaps not getting to me at all, but you sense that we are going to improve as a squad, we are going to develop as a squad, and just grows a nation really I was hearing I was hearing like um, I was hearing conversations about how good he was how professional things were changing Mark Evans' son Nathan lovely lad I remember him telling me oh, apparently you know, he's got analysers in and all that I was thinking oh you know that's interesting you know that it, there was nothing it was meticulously done there was nothing left of detail um, and that really impressed me and then obviously when he uh, tragically took his own life that was a huge blow for us a huge knock uh, and when I did the film, Don't Take Me Home, I, I sort of covered that. And it was only eight weeks, I believe, since between him dying and, and Chris Coleman being appointed. It might even be less than that. And that shocked me. I always thought it was like a six-month gap or something. Or a, a, I, don't, I, I, don't know, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought there was a long time between that. But there wasn't. That poor lad was in that hot chair. Best mate. You know, sitting in his chair, he said, as he said. After, he said it felt weird. And then he had a bit of a rough time at the start. But he turned it round. And he says himself, you know, a lot of that was to do with the foundations that were laid by, laid by Gary Speed. And, you know, on top of that, Mark Evans, I want to mention him again, and the people that work with the Welsh Football Association, Di Griff, another Merthyr boy, done brilliant work. And they football people now, so they know. You know, it's amazing what comes back with, with experience. You know, I've done a few years of Nottingham Forest board now, and you just learn all the time about football administration and how it runs. 
And the FAW is, is whenever I've dealt with them and I've you know been lucky enough to deal with them quite closely now, I'm always very impressed with how they are. Which you know they don't do, they never panic. Mark never panics. Even when we lost, you know, we lost to Ireland in that game for the World Cup. It was fine, you know. The week after it happens, you know, we, we haven't made it before. They made a really good appointment with Ryan Giggs. You know, got us over the line as far as qualifying. It's the same the other night when we drew with Switzerland. We didn't play well. He was the calmest person again in the room, and I think that's really important in an organisation, you know. And that's what I think has impressed me so much about the FAW. The people there that care about what's going to happen in five and ten years' time rather than five days' time. I think that's the important point of football is having those those individuals, whether it's on the field, off the field, you know. You mentioned Mark here, even the players, you could see in the players' eyes, yeah. let's not panic, yeah. you know, let's just embrace the moment, whereas before, perhaps you like, yeah. bloody hell, you know, we might never qualify. Yeah. So, I think it is important that we do have those those sort of individuals around the around the Experiences, so. everything. So, someone like Mark Fragmansegg, who's been there 30 years, he's been through it, knows it, you know, like the back of his hand, you know, and, and that's so important because the players will feed off that as well. Well, I, I, I think I already know the answer to this, but... <laughs> Best time of your life has got to be 2016, isn't it? Oh, a shadow of a doubt. I mean, this one's starting to get up there because I'm back in Merthyr. Fingers crossed. Fingers yeah, I'm not crossed. saying this. It's been brilliant. I've had a lovely week with old mates. I'm going up my mate Nigel's house tomorrow. I've been with, you know, Robert Tyke. These are my, you know, these are lifelong friends and I just love being around them all. Do you know what I mean? And uh, bought Nathan some pizzas. Like, yeah, and I really enjoy, you know, doing it and being with them and they've been me wonderful company, really welcoming yourself, Mark and Jack and the people at the club, Wayne. It's just been so impressive, you know. And it makes you feel like you're, you're home. So I've really enjoyed this Euros. And it's funny because the result last night was as near to the result in Belgium, I feel, as we've had since to go out there in Turkey's backyard in their conditions and to win that, you know, win it like we did. It was an incredible achievement. But 2016 at the moment tops it, of course, because it was when we got the semi-final and you know, we were in a foreign country and, and all the rest of it. But i got to be honest, I am enjoying this right now. I'm enjoying it. I said to pick up on I was speaking to a few fans last night who were out there in, in 2016 and they're saying... Although when they're out there, I still do feel the same yeah. passion. I still enjoy it. Because yeah. they're in a pub, you know, such a good atmosphere. Like you said, you, you've enjoyed it as well. But it just feel, it's not the same, obviously not on the ground. But no. you still feel it's the same near to being pressure. A... You still see the same pressure. Yeah, you still see the same near, fans. It's as near to being here as, as it's possible to be. Being amongst your own people. People you love, your, your best mates, your own town. Watching it and like I said, in the fan, and, the, and the atmosphere. It's been incredible. I say, how, how much, just how... Big was it 2016? Just not just for the team, the players involved, but the nation. You know, because I've been, I've been fitness, I've been watching the LSG and Swapple Nation. That's been brilliant for, yeah. for a young fan coming through. I've never, and, and since watching that, I've never noticed how tough a time Wales was years ago. Because yeah. I've just grew up thinking, well, yeah. Wales done the right leg. Like, yeah. Whereas, you know, I've seen the darkest of times now. I think that's just really opened my eyes in terms of how bad it actually was. But just how big was was 2016 for you as as a fan or for someone who's watched it as, as long as you have and as, as covered football as long as you have? Just how big was that for a nation, well, we, really? Yeah, we were, it felt like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know. And Ellis James is a great lad and that was a brilliant series, you're right, you know. And, and, and like I said, Wales was really in some dark. We'd, you know, we'd been close a few times, but we never quite got over the line. And I think it broke a lot of barriers for a lot of people. And then when we were there, I think, I think what happened in Wales as well was we knew this as football fans. But obviously, I lived in England quite a long time now. It's hard to explain to people who have lived in in Wales just how big football is and the profile football gets. And when Wales are on that stage and the spotlight's on them, it's huge for the country. Rugby's a a wonderful sport. We we, we competed it, and to a lot of people, it's the national game. 
and that's that's a good valid argument. But my point has always been, rugby gets very few back pages in England and anywhere else really, maybe other than New Zealand and South Africa, two countries. Whereas football, you know, you're on the back pages of all of Europe. Wales beating Turkey last night will be reported across all of Europe. You know, and the world. And when we got the semi-final, we became the smallest country to ever reach a semi-final of a major tournament. And that's massive because suddenly people go, well, I know Wales now and I respect it. And once, like we were talking about earlier, once something gets attention, all kinds of interesting, interesting things can happen around that then. So when you look back, you just don't realise how big it was for the, the country. Like, well, I was growing up in school, everything was rugby, rugby, rugby. And it's just like, as a footballer growing up, we're thinking, well, you know, don't disrespect the, the football side of it. Because yeah. I... I know it's easy to say, to say looking back, but when it, when Cookie took over, I thought, you know, something could happen. But obviously, that you said earlier, that the first few months he he didn't want to step in the way of of um, Guy Speed's legacy. But when he started to develop his own philosophy and the new dimensions of, of Welsh football, that just started to take shape. And really, yeah. and, and that's what it's become today, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, its its effects are being felt now. I feel, you know, there's young lads like Harry Wilson. Uh, David Brooks talking about the effect 2016 Adam Ben Cabango saying I watched it in a fan park you know so there's, no, there's another generation of kids that are watching another tournament watching Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey you know competing with Europe's best don't forget Turkey with a lot of people's dark horses for this tournament you know I was just in the talk sport coming driving last week they were waxing lyrical oh they've got a boy up front from Lille and they've got this centre half from Leicester we've got a boy up front from Juventus we've got a boy up front from Real Madrid show us a little bit of respect that's what we're asking but they don't and I like it they stay under the radar I'll be surprised. That's one of the biggest things I've I've hated over the last well not this this time but last time because it just seems to be we we seem to be this this small country that has no hope, that has no fans. Yeah. And then when we do well it's like oh, well 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 done now and we'll give you some coverage and that's obviously being a media person, you've been a media person and been both being football fans, that's something that's really sort of done my head in really in terms of, you know, show the respect that they deserve Wales yeah. and same for Scotland as well because Scotland now it just seems to be nothing around Scotland no. but then to figure out the group suddenly now next week yeah. the table sort of changes yeah of course and you earn it you know we'll, we, we'll earn it we've just got to keep going play well and then when we keep if we keep winning we get through we'll get the attention we deserve I'm fine with that you know I'm alright with it I'd rather be that than have the pressure of everybody going I think you know, one of the things I thought about Scotland was they thought it was, you know, they thought they'd beat the Czech Republic. We played the Czech Republic a few months back. It was a really difficult game, do you remember? Um, and I thought, oh, that could be a tough game for them. And we, we were the same. You know, we played Switzerland. It was hard. We, we clung on into that game, didn't we? There's no easy games in major finals. There's a reason why they call the finals. It's because all the best teams are in there. Yeah, I think that's where Wales want to be in there. You don't want to be playing like so Romania and stuff like that. No. We, we've we've gone past that stage. There's no disrespect to the side you play, but. We want to be in the major tournaments. We want to be, you know, playing as the best and done great in the league of nations. And got to keep testing yourself as we get better. On on the subject of Scotland, every well, we mentioned earlier about the controversial, yeah. controversial game against well, the two games against Scotland. Yeah. Going back to that time, did you sense that it was sort of the end for Wales, or did you feel like mm, maybe we still got a shot, or was it just like well, last in seventy eight? Yeah. Do you know the big one for me was I always remember my old man saying this when we lost in ninety three, wasn't it, to um, Romania, and they sacked Yarath. My father said that's going to knock us back ten years, and I the, ne- that, the next ten years was brutal. That was the sort of the, the wilderness period, the, what I call the Vinnie Jones, Bobby Gould. We were not a laughing stock, but we struggled badly. We still had great players like Ian Rush was still playing, and, and uh, not uh, Ryan Giggs, Mark Hughes, but we struggled. Um, and, and that decision knocked us back ten years. But again, credit to the FAW, they learned from it. 
you know, there's, they sort of said, okay, we made the wrong decision then. And the only way you learn in life is by making wrong decisions. And then you go, I won't do that again. Yeah. And that's what you do. And, um, you know, it was a tough time. There's no two ways about it. Um, but, you know, a lot of credit to the Welsh nation as well. <laughs> you know, the kids who come through and, and are playing. The Premier League is a big part to play for in this. We all know that. The academy system at Cardiff and Swansea has been superb. Uh, those two clubs, you know, being in the Premier League and the Championship means they are richer clubs than they were 20, 30 years ago when they were all in the third and fourth division. So the academies are better, a lot of money spent in them. So all these kids coming through, like Joe Rondon, Ben Davis, you know, Cabango through Swansea's Academy, through Cardiff's Academy, Aaron Ramsey, you know, this, this boy there now, Levitt, they're all good, good players. And the academies are the, are the reason for that, you know, and, and that's why us living in the slipstream, ironically, in the Premier League has been um, an advantageous thing for us because just the money trickled down. Yeah, and if if you look back the the eras with Wales, you know, then the Torshak, Sparky, Bobby Gould, except I didn't realize like again like going back to the sort of Alice James thing this week, I didn't realize Wales had such a turn, such a quick turnaround of managers. You know, as people coming in, people going out, and the next day it's something else, and that gave me a real insight into again how bad the situation was with Wales. But if we had to start one era then of of a manager involved, which one would you say? Obviously, apart from Gary Speed's legacy, etc., Coleman. Which one would you say was was the best? Perhaps not in terms of results, but style of football you actually enjoyed as a fan watching on. Which one would you say was the was the best? The most important thing that happened to Wales. There's a really famous saying that the Romans used to use: "You can judge civilization by men who plant the seeds of trees they will never see grow." So what you're doing is you're doing something that you know you'll never enjoy for the next generation. Will yeah, and that's what John Toshak did. John Toshak used to say to Brian Flynn, "I'm going to play these boys." We're probably going to lose and we're not going to qualify but in the next qualifying round we'll be better and probably in the one after that we might have a chance and that's what John Toshak did he blooded young players so there were players with 30-40 caps by the time they were 22-23 and as we were talking about earlier on you can't beat experience because those boys have been in 2016 like Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale Gareth Bale's won Champions League he's played in the most high profile club and the highest pressure club he can play in the Bernabeu you can't beat that experience do you know I mean he can go to Turkey or let's say Baku, but it's in Turkey, Azerbaijan. He would go there and he would go, right, this is how we're going to play. And he can miss a penalty and yet in injury time, he can still take a corner, go around two men and slot it across. You know, that's the mark of a truly great footballer that they can miss a penalty and still affect the game. You know, and Wales can, can miss a penalty and we still didn't buckle. That and the same against Switzerland. The Switzerland were on top, you know, they, they, they had us on the ropes really, but we didn't buckle. We still got a point. That to me... And the side's a really, really great football team. We, I always say to young fans, enjoy this, because you will live in through the golden era of Welsh football. Not 58, and World Cup, this is the golden era. Qualified in 2016, we qualified in the, to the World Cup, and we were unlucky with injuries with that. I think if we'd have been at Bale and Ramsey playing, it would have made all the difference. And then we qualified for this one, so just enjoy this, this is the golden era. I think that sums up the pathway as well. I just, you know, obviously me coming through the academy ranks of, of different clubs around South Wales, the pathway... For well, well, for Welsh football now, it's just unbelievable. Like you mentioned, like to Joe Roden, yeah, those players coming through, on top of like you mentioned, the Bales coming through the roots, yeah, the team that we've got now, or the squad we've got now, is such a good mixture. And in terms of experienced players, unexperienced players, but we're seeing, like last night, Joe Roden probably one of the best players on the pitch, yeah, and he's what's he got about fourteen caps, yeah, yeah, compared to someone like Chris Gunter who's got you know, yeah, yeah, under caps. Does so, I mean so? Even depending on how many caps each player's got, yeah. they're not scared, they're not shy to, to step up on the big occasions. And that's full credit to people who 
again, like you said earlier, behind the scenes, we've, we've done a superb job. Superb job. I mean, Joe Rogan was a great example of somebody that just like wants, you could bust it to play for Wales. You mean, that's another thing as well. If you, got, if you have got Aaron Ramsey and Dad of Bill in your team, you bust it to play in that side. 21, you go, I want to play with them. I want to be able to say I played with Gareth Bale. You know, that's what Joe, that's what Joe Rodin sort of looks like to me. You know, he looks like somebody's busting yeah. to play football. Same with, uh, you know, Morel. Uh, you know, Joe Morel's like, he's just been sensational. You know, and, and that's the big thing. I mean, Mepham was excellent last night, the goalkeeper. I mean, just talk about Danny Ward. He hasn't played hardly this season. He's been on the bench for Leicester. It was sensational. So, you know, I think what they do is the great players we've got definitely sort of pick them up. They pick up this. They pick up the team, and and bring them up to their level. And I think that's something that, um, that Wales has done really, really well. Is they're not frightened to play somebody from Luton Town next to somebody who plays for Real Madrid. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I think that's one of the ones I want to pick up on as well. In terms of, if you look at England. You look at the other big countries. They seem to be, what if he's a Premier League player, he's starting. Hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things I found after well post Euro 2016 was a lot of Wales fans saying, well, he's playing for. He's playing in League Two. Yeah. He, he shouldn't. He shouldn't have the right to play over so and so so and so in in League One or the Championship, rather. But I think that just just shows how much a nation we've progressed. That we can count on League Two players. Yeah. Compared to like I said, Juventus, you know, we can have that mixture of one player playing in one position for Juventus and one player in a position playing in League Two football. So and yeah. they can still play the same level and out, don't look out the place. I think that's just the beauty of being a Welsh fan. It's and weird, isn't it? it? Just seems to work, doesn't it? The way that the Big, bigger players seem to drag up the other players they seem to want to be able to sort of show that I can do it as well it's a wonderful thing and one of the, one of the biggest things that I pick up on is a loss being such a difficult time over the last 12 to 18 months of the pandemic we've seen the Super League yeah just how big was that in t- just in football you know just in general football you know seeing the uproar that came the, the fans being on, on the club's backs who, who, who sort of went forward for it yeah I think I'd even feel it on the ranks, wouldn't it? Yeah, obviously, yeah. been not the Forest board member yeah. and obviously been the Forest so many years. Just how tough was our new club and the, and the fans' reaction as well? It was a big thing, you know, when everybody was united in February, the fans of the, of the six clubs as well were the same. Everybody felt that, you know, the, one of the great things about uh, the English football pyramid system is the uh, the competition, the fact you can get promoted and relegated. You know, Forest have had a tough, tough season this season. It's been hard, you know. But you wouldn't change that. The same with Wales. We always want the ability to, to qualify for major tournaments, didn't matter how bad it got, you know. Wales, we always felt well we should have the opportunity to do it and look what's happened since so and I felt it changed a lot of people's opinions really on football it, 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 the, seat, the cat was out of the bag, there were some clubs run by people who were just interested in money they didn't care about the game and competition, they wanted the money and they were, you know, that was them saying it and for me personally it was one of those moments I'd had it with Covid but I thought I just want to do some stuff with Merthyr Town now, you know that to me is what football is to me you know, and I still, you know, respect the fact that Manchester United Fragments are a great football club. But I, I want to do something with Merthyr Town because A, I think that's football in its purest form in my opinion, and you can do something which will directly affect the town in which it exists, the the community work Merthyr does, the, the women's team and the kids' teams and you and Jack and the volunteer culture which is sensational. That to me is, is what football should be about. Uh, and that's what I was gonna say, I think when that Super League sort of went live, I just think people didn't just sort of zoomed in the Premier League only. They, they didn't think about, you know, like Samirtha, other grassroots club who might be struggling. I yeah. think that's gives such an insight or it's opened our people's eyes to, like you said, get behind your local football club, get behind your local non league club, grassroots club, League Two club. It's just brought everything back together again. And I think that's the reason why you said, well, you said to me personally, this is why I want to be back in Merthyr. This club can go places. Yeah. 
and this is why we need to get behind it. And you got, like I said, businessmen who want to put their money in the top top clubs, whereas they're forgetting where some of these players are coming from. Without, yeah. without, like I said, this the Swansea pathway. Yeah. Without clubs like them, the Premier League wouldn't have the best players. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to, isn't it, yeah, in yeah. terms of recruitment process. Absolutely right. It's, it's the, the I can't stress how important Merthyr Town is to the town itself. Really, I said it. You know, when it was picked up by a lot of people, it's the heart of the town, really. Moving on to obviously the media stuff, and you've been in the media game a long time now. I didn't realize, in, in fact, how much you've done when I'd done some research on it. How did it all come about then? How did it all sort of, how did it all sort of start for yourself then? Well, I was in a band, I was, and um, the band did all right actually. Uh, it got signed and things, never quite broke in, you know, to the charts and stuff, but we did we did okay. And then I was picked up by a, for, on a drama series that was shot in Wales called Nuts and Bolts. This is about oh, 25 years ago now. Um, and that did okay. And then from there, then I kind of like got my. Um, relationships going and I ended up doing quite a lot of media work really and, and the old head of sport at ITV Wales he liked me and, and you know he liked my passion for football and he asked me what I'd like to get involved and uh, you know I've been there ever since really I sort of ended up doing lots of different things making films writing and all sorts really I'm a good age now I'm 50 in two weeks um, so I've done lots of stuff really I suppose over the years but I really enjoyed it you know I, uh, ever since I've sort of gone on that path I've never really felt like a job it's felt like something I've loved doing and I realise I'm very lucky doing something that I really enjoy waking up to do every day and so what's it like being in, in the environment as well because it's not everything's sport everything's football is that is that something you've always wanted to do as a kid or is it just sort of happen really it's kind of happen. I think you know you, there's a great saying isn't it if you find out what you love and then do that then you've got a chance and that's what I kind of did really I kind of always wanted to working in football and, and drama and writing and all that kind of stuff and uh, it was a natural progression really to end up doing some football films something I really was interested in doing the, the documentary genre has become massive so I'm very lucky there that I came along at a time Senna broke a lot of barriers and it was those kind of films went to cinema so I kind of rode on the back of that really and uh, yeah it's been very uh, it's been great for me to do kind of like uh, managed to make some kind of living out of it and you know a long way continuing. Obviously, been on talk sport now over a year in. Did you get nervous at all then being on air? Because obviously, like I said, you've done various different stuff, you know, on on screen, off screen, you know, yeah. off air, on air. Is it, do, you, do you get nervous at all in terms of. You always have a few nerves, and it's good. You have to, otherwise, you know, the moment you get too cocky and laid back, you might make a mistake, I always think. So, yeah, I've always had a few little butterflies. When I first started, I was quite nervous because it was kind of a new thing. Um, I'm not as nervous as I was when I started because, as we were saying earlier, experience sort of changes you. But um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always like enjoy it. I always feel like, right, okay, just before we start, and just before they say, right, you're on air. There's a moment where I think, oh, I'm on air. You know, let's get on my game, speak properly, clearly, let's try and have a bit of fun, be relaxed, and, and enjoy it. And then if people could hear you enjoying something, hopefully they enjoy it as well. And I've got, I picked up from something else you said previously. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's something to do with the 50 second rule in talk sport. Oh yes, no, it's a seven-second delay. So basically, if, delay. If, if somebody swears, they're able to. Um, I've already been picked up that a second. So well, only once. It was once. I the only time I ever did it. I um, I don't know why I said it. Actually, I just went. I just was talking casually to Nigel Clough. It was, and I used the F word. Never really done that before. Uh, teach me, wouldn't it? Again, see, be relaxed. But they they blocked they blocked it out, so nobody would have known. Is that is that what you say? That's one of the, the disadvantages of working in sport where you can get carried away in a match for example and you lose and you you know it's like when you lose a football match if you look yeah, if you, you if got, our reverse last like you know the, the motion would have been high and yeah I would have been quite difficult right, to stay I, calm I can, like. I can control it 
pretty pretty good now. You know, I, I can go from being super <laughs> despondent to professional. Although I did have a bit of fun last night with Jason Cundy, who's a, a fellow presenter who called us the dog and duck pub team of this tournament. We had a bit of fun with that, uh, with the Merthyr crowd. A lot of people mentioned that to me. And I know then afterwards he said that um, Turkey was very poor, so he still wouldn't give us any credit. So fair play to him, he's just a, a clever way of uh, getting a reaction, isn't it? <laughs> and like I said, you, you said earlier just now, you, you've worked with like I said, I look at Ian McCoyston, all right, and yeah. Noah Gallagher for Oasis on yeah. Talk Sport. What's it like working with them? Because uh, I imagine we'd have grown up sort of watching those those sort of players and it's and fantastic. Those sort of individuals. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, and they're all good people. Um, become mates with quite a few of them, and and what you find with very very successful people who are very happy in their own skin. They're great. They're happy with who they are. They're brilliant to talk to. They've got nothing to prove. Uh, so they're they're always the easiest people to deal with. Ironically, you know the ones you would think, oh, are they going to be difficult? They're not because. I think they've become so well known and so successful. They're just sort of very content in their own skin, I suppose. And finally, the, the finish. Obviously, we we were speaking to you and Vicky last week about the club you coming on board this season. Yeah. How important is it for people like you? You know, professional people, if you want to say professional sports people. Is it to get behind your sort of local club? You, even if it's not a local club, local football club, local rugby club, local cricket club, for example. You know. How important is it that you get behind them and, and support them as much as you can, especially after the events we've had over the last 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I think, you know, but my own personal opinion, this is my personal opinion, people can do what they want. There's a lot of people get involved in charities and things like that once they reach a certain stage in their life, whether that be financially or, you know, profile-wise. Uh, I was lucky enough that I had managed to get a little bit of profile. My, my partner, Vicky Matua, has got a, a huge profile. She's probably one of the best-known actresses in the UK now. Uh, we had a chat... I sort of explained how I felt about my local town. Merth has had a tough time economically. We all know that, you know. Um, so I felt myself, well, I thought to myself, well, how can I go and help? And I love the football club. So I thought, well, you know what? And I've worked in football and I've worked in media. Maybe me and her trying to get some profile would help the club. And like we said earlier, in the interview, attention is really important because it just makes other people, it pricks up their ears and they go, oh, okay, Merth have got a little bit of a backing in that sense. I mean, listen, we didn't expect the um, the attention it would get. You um, controlled that brilliantly, Mark. Fair play to you. Um, I thought it might have made the media wheels and you know the Merth Express, and that was it. But we obviously had, we got loads of um, great publicity for the club, which is fantastic because everybody's talking about Merth again. And I mean, just just last night we covered the Turkey game here. We had BBC Wales in the next room. We had ITV over there. We had Talk Sport in here. All we needed was Sky, and we'd have had the full set, didn't we? Yeah, I think that's that's. That's just so important for a club like Merth. Obviously, it's massive the club like Merth, and, and like I said, they shouldn't be yeah. where they are in terms of the, of the league. But that just shows just how big a club Merth is, yes. and as a town really, in, yeah. in terms of the exposure we get in. Yeah. Without sort of the name or the brand of what back in the days in the football league and said in Europe. Yeah. Perhaps those things and events last week wouldn't have made the likes of Sky News, Wales Online, BBC. Did you feel the same way as me? Or is that... I think you're absolutely right. I think I think there's still a lot of. Um, Affection uh, for Merthyr, the name carries a lot of weight with its history. There's not a single person I approached who asked me who Merthyr were. They all knew, they all remembered, uh, and I think that's so important, you know. And again, stuff like this helps because you know it keeps Merthyr's name out there, keeps us on the map. People go, oh, Merthyr Town, you know, and it's certainly interesting for the, the manager with the recruitment of players. You know, uh, it just you know you could say to a player where he could maybe go somewhere else for more money, and that's fine. But another player might go, well, I'd like to go there because there's a bit of a buzz around it. You know, there's bigger crowds. You know, there's people involved who interest me. You know, we're always looking to get more people involved as well. So for me, you know, it's a positive. The board have been fantastic. Les, 
is a wonderful Les Barlow as a chairman, Mark Evans on as vice chairman. I mean, look how much we've just spoke about the experience Mark's got. Friends who come to a club like Merthyr is fantastic. So for me, the right people are involved in Merthyr. So it just felt like the right time. It was, we'd just come out of COVID. The club had been mothballed. It's a great board. It's a fantastic manager. The fans are lifelong friends. Why would I not do it? And finally, one, I've done this to all the guests that have been on, on the podcast so far. And I give you two choices. Mm-hmm. Your ultimate five-a-side team of the players you watched, so as a fan, as sort of a media person, and obviously you roll the forest. And your ultimate five-a-side team of the people you work with, they can be ex-players, pundits, etc. So if you had to put two sides together based on that, who would it be? So the, the, so the first one is my favourite five, Merthyr five-a-side team, is it? Up to you. All the players you watch the fan, that could be Merthyr as a fan. I'll go Merthyr one first then. Gary Wagering goals. I'd have uh, Chris Olvey at the back. I'd have Kevin Rogers, obviously, in midfield. David Webby up front. Oh, where'd I go for the wings? I'd just go with... I'll have to go with Paul Giles, because I know Paul, but Kerry Williams have come very close to that as well. So Paul Wiles, I'd bring Paul Giles off halfway through and I'd bring uh, Kerry Williams on. So that's my Merthyr five-a-side team. And then a five-a-side team of players, people I've worked with. Um, well, I'd probably go with uh, Neville Southall in goals. So on with the talks about yesterday, so that counts. Neville Southall in goals. Uh, a defender would be uh, Viv Anderson, what player? Viv Anderson in defence. In midfield, I'd have... Uh, Kevin Rogers again, because <laughs> Kevin's one of my favourite players. John Robertson on the wing, great Scottish player, and up front and up Gary Burtles. Not about a team, eh? Yeah, that's all right. No. Big fan of Kevin Rogers. Massive fan. <laughs> Kevin Rogers was my was my martyr. I loved him. Well, thank you very much, John. It was a pleasure, mate, and uh, hopefully catch you soon. Mark, you've been brilliant, mate. I just wanted to say as well that the fans know the work you've done and Jack has done has been fantastic. I've been really impressed. It's been so professional, and I think you've got a big future in the game. Thank you very much. Welcome.